Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. My wife and I were driving home from the marriage getaway a couple years ago. It was the first one that we got to attend together. And uh, we were driving the car and my wife and I had both heard God whisper into our own heart that he was calling us to be a bridge. And it was, it was a special moment to hear you say that because not only is it, is it powerful to know that you're sitting under covering that listen to the voice of God, but because that was something God spoke to and has unlocked in our family and in our calling under this roof. And we're just so thankful for you guys. Yeah, thank you for, for being the home. When I was listening to the incredible Ashley Cox talk about this testimony of what God's done, she, she actually pulled me aside a couple weeks ago, and she was asking me about um, strategy and marketing and building my practice, and she's, I was like, oh, so, so, so where are you at? And she was telling me about what God had done in her business over the last 12 weeks. I said, oh, okay. Um, I, I took like two years to accomplish what God just did <laughs> in your business in 12 weeks. Maybe I should consult with you. You guys got a powerful clinical mind in this roof. And Ashley, God is going to continue to grow your voice and your influence. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You guys sit down. It's such an honor to be here. Such an honor to be in a house because this is, man, if, if you stick around awaken for very long, you're going to notice this is a weird place. Not, not every place can rally 3,000 guys to go get dirty. That really is rare. Just so you guys know, like maybe you don't have background or exposure to other culture, that that's really unique. In fact, this year, major like top level leaders came from other organizations, Bethel being one of them, to shadow and learn from what is Awaken doing. How do they get the hardest demographic, which is heartbreaking, the adult man, to show up to get vulnerable to get real, to get rocked, to confess, to have breakthrough. How do you, that, and it, it's what Pastor Michael was talking about. It is, it is the covering that at the, from the very top, Pastor Leanne, Pastor Jurgen, they are the covering of a mother and father and it creates a safety in their house and it, and it permeates the whole culture. Uh, it, it impacted me because like, I was, I was telling first service, like I almost get surprised every time I get welcomed back to, like asked back to speak again because I know that I'm a little bit weird. My therapy, I'm a therapist, which means my job is to like go into the dark cave. My job is to go into the mud. And, and when you get to do that again and again and again, there's this really incredible blessing that comes with it. When you get to go through the mud, not just in your own story, but with other people, you do it enough times, you start to associate the dark with the breakthrough that's coming. You start to associate the, the trial, the tribulation with, ooh, man, this is a big trial. That means the breakthrough is gonna be next level, right? Because that's how God works. And it always shocks me. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was at Bressie, probably actually a month ago, I was at Bressie and 
uh, Pastor Samuel was introducing me, and when he was introducing me, he referenced that he quoted me in his new book. I'm published, y'all. I'm a published. I've never been published before. I like this. At least nothing you would read, like academic stuff, but who cares? Um, if, if you all want to be a writer, I recommend this method. It was effortless. It was easy. But he basically, he read the quotation in front of the church. He said, like, the quotation was something. Um, Dr. Brian says, if, if you're fighting in your marriage, then your marriage is working. So be encouraged. And I thought, is that encouraging? Does that actually sound encouraging when you just snip that one sentence out all by itself? I hope I sounded more encouraging when I originally said that. But that's what I love about this house, is that because there's so much breakthrough, because there, there's so much power, that we're not afraid of the trial. And it's, it's really what's been on my heart for the last several weeks as I've been getting to share the thing I've been unpacking. is something God showed me this year earlier in Exodus, where there's this moment in the book of Exodus in chapter um, 17, where they're leaving Egypt. Israel is leaving Egypt for the first time. And there's this, there's this sentence that I never caught before where it says, as they were leaving Egypt, that God took them, that God did not take them on the direct road, the short road to the promised land because he knew that they'd encounter the Philistines and they would turn around and run back to slavery. So God took them on the long road to the Red Sea he intentionally took them the long way because he knew if I take you straight to the promise, you're not ready for the promise. You're not ready to take down the giants and the territory to step into my promise. So what I'm gonna do out of love, out of patience, because I see in you what you don't see in you yet, I'm actually gonna take you into the wilderness so that we can build trust and you can, you can experience what it's like to rely on me. And when I was pre preparing for today, I kind of resisted it because what I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart is to go deeper. What, is, what does that mean? That the long road means when we have a moment of power in our life, when God shows up and we have an encounter of God's power, we go down to the altar and we receive prayer. We get deliverance. Somebody speaks a prophetic word overnight. We, we have a moment where we encounter God's power. It can be incredibly redemptive, huh, right? Like not just is the, is, the, is the power of death in the grave spiritually broken off our life, that's good, but there's also like a hope that comes with it. And, and there's, this, there's this pit we can fall into sometimes where we get so much hope. Oh, finally, I'm done with the addiction or I'm done with the conflict or I'm done with the wound or I'm done with that reaction. I'm done with the anger. And then we wake up a week later and it's still hard. And what we want to realize, the long road means, God taking us down the long road means that the moment of power, the moment of encounter, the moment where he touches your life and empowers you to confront the thing that you can't confront on your own, that's just the beginning of the process. He wants to take you through the wilderness. And, and the danger is that when we, when we have that moment, God, God takes us through the Red Sea. What a dramatic display of power. And then we, woke up a month, we wake up a month later in the wilderness that because the power didn't absolve us from the process, we question the power. Man, was that really God? Or did, did I really mean it when I confessed this time? Or, or is God even with me? Am I alone in this process? And, and what I really wanted to go down, this is what God's been showing myself, me, is go a little bit deeper. And what does it mean to be in the process? Because the process is a place where, when we talk about process, we're talking about wilderness, right? We're not, we're not talking about like a, a weekend getaway. 
we're not talking about a spot. When we're in process, God is preparing us. He's testing us. The Bible talks about testing those he loves. That doesn't feel nice and cushy all the time. And so the danger is we wake up in the process and we, and we, we, confuse, we confuse the wilderness with abandonment or we confuse the wilderness with backsliding and we think, oh, something's gone wrong. You guys say, nope, this is exactly where I want you. This, I'm gonna bring you into season where you have to depend on me so that muscle gets so strong that when you face a much bigger giant, it doesn't, it doesn't cause you to turn and run, amen? That process prepares us for the promise. That's the work. That, uh, there, was a, there was a moment for me where this, that it's, it will always be kind of like a, an anchor in my story. In fact, I, I literally say to my clients that I, I don't think I ever enter into a therapy session without holding this part of my story with me, bringing it with me. That in the moment where I literally thought I was disqualified from being a helper, like my, my wife and I were weird. We were dating, talking about putting marriage conferences on. We like had this audacious, ridiculous dream. And then we got married, and I discovered that I was a terrible husband. And, and marriage got harder and harder and harder for a few years. And then that culminated with God uh, bringing me into deliverance by my addiction and my hidden behaviors getting exposed. And there was, there was a, a breakthrough moment where I thought, oh my gosh, it's so good to be out of that wilderness, meaning the wilderness of hidden behaviors, right? The wilderness of lying, not knowing that that delivered me into a new wilderness. See, I, when I confessed what I had gone through to my wife, I was restored in my integrity, but I was not a safe husband yet. I didn't know how to think like a husband. I didn't know, I only knew how to think like an addiction. That's how I thought, that's how I worked, that's how I coped, that's how, hiding was my safe place. And it took years of me grinding and, and committing myself to this process before it felt weird not to share stuff with Sarah. Now stuff comes up and her not knowing something feels wrong. It's like, ooh, it feels like an echo of that place I used to be. I ain't staying here for two seconds and I wanna I want share things that, I, that I'm going through with my wife as fast as I can. But the, the challenge being, if we mistake, if we mistake the trial, the fact that it's still hard, for maybe my faith wasn't big enough, then we, the, 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 deliver, the, the work that God is doing actually gets robbed from us. So there's a, mo- a moment, um, there's a moment in Israel's story about a year later. So what I've been talking about is that moment I just referenced, Exodus 17, where boom, 400 years of slavery ends and Israel goes into the wilderness. A year later, they've been wandering around the wilderness for a, a year, mostly grumbling. Mostly, mostly complaining, and then God shows up and does something miraculous to show them, I'm with you. And then about a year later, Moses sends a scout team, a troop of, of men, a representative from each tribe, 12 guys, into the promised land to, to scout it out and to see what it's like. And they, they bring back a message. And this is the message that they bring back. I just want to share it with you real quick. They gave Moses this account. This is Numbers 13, 27. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does, in fact, flow with milk and honey. It is everything God said it was going to be. Here's its fruit. But, but the people, somebody say, but the people. But the people who live there are powerful, 
and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak, the Anakites, is a, is a, is a people that are, are basically uh, described, they were, they were known to be like warrior giants. So what, basically what this troop is saying is, we saw giants in the land. And the men go on, it actually says this really explicitly, I think it's so interesting that Moses took the care to write this. He said, the men spread the narrative. They spread the report among Israel that the land was too powerful and we couldn't take it. And, and this group of 10 men, because two of them stand up against Caleb and Joshua, say, no, we can do this, but they get silenced. These 10 men actually poison the whole nation of Israel into saying, it's too scary, they're too powerful, we can't do it. And what happens right after that, as soon as the people of Israel actually reject the invitation, they reject the promise, God responds and he says, so tell them, meaning he's talking to Moses, so tell them, as surely I live, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you, I will do to you, Israel, the very thing I heard you say, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years or older, who is who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. And if you don't hear that and shake a little bit, you are not paying attention. Because what he is saying, he is saying that you have so consistently spoken your own defeat over your life. I am not gonna continue to over-function for you and baby you and carry you into a promise that you've already said you don't want to do the work of preparing for. And they lose the inheritance that God promised Abraham more than 400 years ago. That whole generation, not the nation of Israel, that entire generation that grumbled against God loses their inheritance. And that's what struck me when I first read this. Like, wow, this is the moment. So they've been in the wilderness about a year. Some of you have probably heard. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God didn't strike them dead. He just said, you're not gonna enter. So he continued to provide, to protect, to carry them as a people in the wilderness for 40 years because they said, we are gonna die in the wilderness. They declared it over their own life. And this is the moment. This is, what, this is my, my first thought when I read this. Like, this is the moment. This is the moment that they lose their inheritance. And what it brings me to when I read something like that with the shudder, I think it's a healthy fear, is I want to know, I want to know how to train. I want to know how to prepare because apparently they spent a year in the wilderness relying on God, God providing perfect conditions for them to build their trust, to build their reliance, to build their faith. And for some reason, they were able to go through a year, probably 13 to 14 months, most scholars say, a year of those conditions and they still showed up at the promise unprepared. They still rejected it. And there's this tool that I got, I got exposed to a way back, but it's been this tool that I've really loved because it's so simple. And it's a guy named Dallas Willard. He's a brilliant theologian. He, he created this thing that he calls the triangle of spiritual transformation or the triangle of spiritual growth. And basically what he's doing is he's breaking down into its three most essential elements. What are the components that God uses to spiritually grow us up? What does God actually use what are the ingredients to spiritual transformation, maturation, growing up? At the top, you will see probably the ingredient that we spend the most time focusing on is the action and the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that good? That's a good thing to focus on. Nothing else happens. There's no bottom tiers if we don't start with the power and the action of the Holy Spirit. That is the thing that God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
You do not have the power to break off death and the grave. We cannot do that. God rose from the dead. God rose from the dead to break the power of death and the grave off of our spiritual deadness. Amen. Are you with me? So we need, we need to start right there. The challenge of that is, is that we can camp out right there. The challenge of that is, is that when we get saved, when we give our life to God and we, we experience him, his indwelling, we are not actually ready for anything yet. We are ready to die. We're ready to go face judgment, right? Like we've been, we've been restored. We've been saved. We have been made new, but we have not been hardened yet. We have not been battle tested. We have not been matured or strengthened. God is depositing. And he is, we are a new creation spiritually, but we still are dragging around the old man until we go through the work. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So we have this next component down here in the lower, what is your lower left? Spiritual discipline, spiritual discipleship. That is, if I was to summate, that is, we do what is in our power to do so that we can accomplish what we cannot do in our own strength. Spiritual disciplines are the work of us showing up every day after the weekend ends, after emerge, right? Because we go to emerge, it is hard to stand in that tent and not be wrapped up. You could go in with a really bad attitude. You could fold your hands. It is hard to be in that atmosphere of faith, in that atmosphere, in the presence of God and not be impacted, not let him in and, and surrender and loosen your heart and let God in, into your life. And you see men's lives get transformed. The problem is we can't live and emerge as much as I might want to. That actually doesn't sound that good to me. Honestly, it's a little stinky, but, and kind of cold, but you don't feel it. You don't feel it. Isn't that true? You don't feel it when you're in that tent. We can't live and emerge because the work, the deposit that God wants to make and emerge, it isn't actually complete until the revelation is taken into repetition in our daily life, which brings us, it brings us to that third, that third point. What he describes is everyday life. He actually describes, he really, he really lays it on thick. He really like emphasizes that when he says everyday life, he means the mundane stuff. He means the hard stuff. He means the frustrating stuff, the flat tire, the impatience in traffic, the conflict with your spouse, the uncertainty at your job. Those are the places where the work of the Holy Spirit and the commitment to a spiritual discipleship, the disciplines, this is actually the only place where change happens because you, you can't access God outside of life. You can, you can go to a merge and you can have an encounter with God, but you're still in life, right? Like I still had to, I still had to like, make sure that my uh, kids had a babysitter. I still had to make sure, I, I had to arrange for my life for me to be at Emerge, right? We can't access God outside of the everyday. But we do have this blessing. We do have this, like, this gift that we have these moments of power and encounter that, in, that, that as Pastor Michael said, that activate, that begin a process. This is where the change happens. And I think here, let me just, let me say, let me, this is the way that I think we get trapped is we have the encounter, we go to emerge, just, it's relevant. We, we go to emerge and we, we get this deposit and our faith gets lifted and our hope gets lifted and we feel connected. We feel connected to other men, we feel connected to mission, we feel, feel connected to God. And then I bet you that Tuesday, we wake up at 4.30 and we're at men's prayer. Are we still going to men's prayer three months later? Are we still waking up and reading our Bibles six months later? 
because the, the novelty, the energy, the lift has worn off. Now we get to see where development happens. Now we take the revelation and we turn it into reps and we actually strengthen our spiritual muscle. We actually look at the next giant and we say this, this is, this is the next obstacle, maybe the, the debt that we face, the bankruptcy, the conflict with our spouse. That's not the abandonment of God. This is where I get to see the deliverance of God. This thing, this place, this challenge is actually where the power of God gets activated and my brain gets rewired. So let me, let me really, really quickly, I want to make sure, because if this, if this uh, if spiritual discipleship is relatively new for you, I want to just say, don't try and take on a million things because because the, the library of spiritual disciplines is very large. The things that I would say is most critical, most, most critical, is to wake up every single day and study God's word. That all spiritual transformation, beyond being, being made new, being made a new creation by the Holy Spirit, all spiritual transformation is the renewal of your mind. So we have to reprogram our brain. Secondly, waking up every day and cultivating your own personal, private connection with God through personal prayer. Number two, praying every single day, connecting with God, listening and speaking. And then lastly, what I call is a habit or a lifestyle of confession. And that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like having somebody in your life where you just tell them all about how bad you are. It means, the word confession means to stand. Fasore means to stand. Con, with. Confession means to stand in agreement with God. A, a lifestyle of confession means I have men and women in my life who know me inside and out, to which there is no hidden part. That means I show up, and yes, I'm frustrated. I show up, yeah, I lost my temper. Yep, I went back to the screen, or whatever the thing is, I, and I continue to be known there, and I receive their influence. I get strengthened by then, and we, we course correct until the, the last chain of that old bondage falls off, and we move into the next level. A lifestyle of confession is remaining known. Those three things are the most essential. There's, a, there's something my, my wife reminded me of a while back. When I think about discipleship, it's important. I just want to, I want to mention this before I move on. It's important for us to know that all of us are being discipled. Everybody you know in your life is being discipled by somebody. Discipleship means influence. Discipleship means formation. So whether it is being discipled by Disney or being discipled by Pastor Mike, you are being discipled by somebody. Your kids are being discipled by somebody. And there was a moment, maybe last year, year before that, where uh, my wife updated me and said, by the way, Nikki, Ricky, Dicky, and Don is off the watch list. It's a television show. And we had watched episodes. We don't watch, our kids don't watch things that we don't like, you know, have, are familiar with. And we're like, they're just shenanigans. They're just getting into trouble. This feels really safe. And then we started, my wife started to notice. I did too, but she really pointed out to me. She's like, have you noticed the girls just being like ruder with each other? Just like attitude and like weird kind of passive aggressive comments. And like, yeah, I kind of did. And then she was walking through the living room as they were watching this show. And she heard the character on the show say something she had heard my daughter say. Like, oh, Nikki or Ricky or one of them is discipling my daughter into an oppositional, disrespectful posture that it's, it's normalizing this behavior. Like, you know what? They don't get to disciple you anymore. That voice is out, and we're going we're gonna to cultivate a different culture in our house, a culture that doesn't sound like your friends, it doesn't sound like the world, a culture of purity where we honor and lift each other up. You are being discipled, right? And that's like when we get into this, uh, this, what does it mean? What does it mean to really get the deep revelation the deep revelation that all transformation happens right here. There is no accessing the Holy Spirit 
outside of everyday life. There is no spiritual discipline outside of everyday life. There's one of the most important verses that I ever, I ever internalized, I ever remember, is when I really gave my life to the Lord for the first time at 19 years old, I was so fortunate. I had a mentor in my life that said, Brian, before you do anything else, I want you to memorize James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. And I did not like it at first. Because you read James chapter 1 and it says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Which if you just stopped right there, that sentence is absurd. That sentence is ridiculous. (laughs) Consider it pure joy when life stinks. When they make you angry. When the person cuts you off in traffic. When your kids are behaving in a way that scares you or angers you. Consider it pure joy when you don't have enough money in your bank account for that. Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Thankfully, he didn't stop there because you know, which I didn't know, so I'm glad he, it's nice that he gives me credit. You know that the testing, the trial, the wilderness, the testing of your faith actually develops perseverance. It actually strengthens you, and that perseverance has a work that it needs to complete in you for you to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Some translations use the word perfect, and it says so that you might be perfect. And where, does, where is James explaining to us that we are made perfect? It's in the trial. And again, man, what a, what a horrible thing to be robbed of when we wake up in the trial and we let the voice of the enemy convince us, I'm in this trial, there's not enough money, my wife and I are disconnected, my kids don't, don't wanna listen to me, my, my coworkers don't respect me, I'm in this trial because God's not with me. I'm in this trial because my faith isn't good enough. I'm in this trial because my character isn't good. I'm in this trial because I'm alone. Instead of saying, oh, this is the place, right here. This moment where my wife feels angry with me and all I wanna do is defend myself and all I wanna do is reject her pain and, and armor up. This is where I will see the deliverance of the Lord right here. I can't, actually can't access it anywhere else. This is where my spiritual muscle, my heart, my trust in God actually deepens. And there's a moment, if you go back to Numbers 13, right? What, what did they say when the, those men of fear, not emerge men, those men of fear tried to spread that rumor. They said, yes, the land is everything we thought it would be, but the people, but the opposition, but the strength of those fortified cities, but the thing that we have to come against is too great for us. There's a very different, there's a very different narrative and actually reframed the whole meaning for me when I was thinking about this. God said something to me and I I wanna read, there's a moment in 1 Samuel when we see David confront a promised land. David confronts a Philistine. And there's a moment in 1 Samuel in 17, 34, it says, David persisted. So David comes down. He actually wasn't there to be a soldier, if you know the story. Dad sent David to send, to bring bread and cheese to his brothers who were soldiers which is, probably doesn't feel great. He shows up and he sees Goliath. He sees this Philistine who's around 6'10", probably, about seven feet tall. He sees this Philistine just like mocking the nation of Israel and mocking the God of Israel. And David starts to get angry. And he starts to put, why is nobody doing something? And the first thing his brothers do is like, bro, like bread boy, keep your mouth shut. This, ain't, this isn't where, you should go back and tend the sheep. And David keeps talking. 
And he keeps asking, why is nobody standing up? I'll stand up to him if nobody else will. And Saul hears about this and he's brought before Saul. And the first thing Saul says, even before the verse that I'm about to show you, Saul says, I'm sorry, but you're absurd. Saul literally says, this is ridiculous. Who are you? And this is David's response. He gives him his resume, which, man. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its jaws. If the mouth turns, if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions, hear that plural, and bears. I will do it to this pagan Philistine for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion, the Lord who rescued me from depression, the Lord, the same God who rescued me from dead and rescued me from marital strife and rescued me from depression, the same God is gonna rescue me right here. And Saul hears this and he consents. He says, all right, go ahead. May the Lord be with you. And it's so, it's so important for us to know that, that what David is saying is that he has spent years in obscurity. He spent years out in the field tending flock, which as far as like boring careers go, that's gold medal level. <laughs> Hundreds of hours of absolute boredom punctuated by the occasional predator where his life is on the line. And it makes me think, you know, it makes me think, you know, I bet the first predator that showed up, I bet the first predator wasn't like a huge bear. I bet it was like a baby bear. It was like a small lion the first time he showed up. When he showed up and, and David saw, oh my gosh, he's got one of my sheep and he runs after him and, and the lion was still young enough, he still wasn't confident enough that he just ran off. Like he said, I just went for the lamb. He, he got spooked and he runs off. And David's confidence, wait a second, did I just chase a lion? Is that a stupid thing to do? But his confidence starts to build because he, he sees the predator, he sees the danger, he sees the threat, and he has this faith. He's got this ridiculous, audacious face that says, God is with me. And then the bear gets bigger and the lions get bigger over time. And now the lion isn't scared anymore. The lion actually turns to take him on and the faith has had time to mature and he's ready and he, he takes him by the jaws and he takes it down. And so when, he's maybe never faced Goliath before, right? He's never faced a seven foot Philistine, but he said the same God that delivered me from the animals I should not have been able to kill is gonna deliver me from this Philistine. And there's a moment where we realize, this is what God said to me, I was like, Thinking about numbers, I was thinking about Israel. I was like, oh, I think, I think I missed it. I was thinking in that moment of fear when Israel says, oh, but the people, that's when they lost the, the promise. That's when they lost the inheritance. I felt like God said, nope, that's not the moment they lost it. They actually lost it every single day over the previous year when they woke up in the wilderness and I was there and I was providing and they ignored it and I gave them manna and they still cursed me and I gave them everything that they needed and they still focused on the desert. They focused on the deprivation. They focused on the scarcity and they told themselves, they told themselves a story of death. They lost it in the preparation. They lost it in rehearsing their loss. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And I love this because if you keep reading in 1 Samuel, David actually goes forward and he confronts Goliath. Goliath says some, some big things. And David, uh, David responds and he says, David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord 
of the heavens armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The day, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head and then I will give you the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. It brought me back. It brought me back to those men of fear in Israel that said, yes, the land is everything you thought it was, but the men, but the fear, but the fortified city. And David has the same moment. Goliath stares him down. He defies, he, he, he mocks him. And David's response is, but I, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Yeah, you're big, you're stronger than me. There's absolutely no reason that I think that I should be able to take you down. But I know if God is for me, then who can be against me? And if I come at you in the name of the Lord, I don't come in my strength. I don't come in my certainty. I come in a spiritual muscle, muscle that has been tested and strengthened over time. And I think what, what God was saying to me in this moment is that, God doesn't want us to lose the deposit he makes on the mountaintop because we neglect the preparation in the trial that he said, I want you to make sure you're gonna, you wrote something down on that burden board, right? You wrote it down and you threw it into the fire. And in that moment of faith, in, in, in leveraging and leaning into the faith that your brothers had for you, you believe that maybe God could set me free from this. And in a week or a month from now, you might feel that temptation again. And don't let the enemy sneak in in that moment and tell you the fact that you're feeling the temptation or the fact that you stumble means the board didn't burn, that the burden didn't get lifted, that the power wasn't real or God isn't with you. What it means is we're in training now. It's time to do reps. What it means is go back to prayer, go back to the Bible, go back to your brothers and stay in the fight until the last chain falls off. Don't say like the Israelites, oh, but the enemy. Say, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Because something I love about David's story is he gives, he gives his resume, right? That's his, uh, that's his qualifications. And I just, man, how many years? How many years do we hear about? How many years of obscurity and privacy? Nobody was watching. Nobody was there to, to champion him on and praise him and say, I'll go with you. He was out there with the sheep by himself. That is just, that's lame. That's sad. How many years do we hear about in one sentence? I have faced both lions and bears, and God brought me through. And some of you are in a season of preparation right now. It's a season that you can't see the end of. It's a season that you can't see the strength you're building. You don't see the muscle development because it happens too slow. You don't see the muscle development. I had another guy, a friend of mine, has been trying to get me to go to jujitsu with him for like six months. And he keeps telling me about, oh, Brian's going to be so awesome. You just got to go. But just, just remember, the first time you show up, you're going to be really bad. And you're going to feel like, oh, I can't do this. And everybody's better than you. And they are better than you. And then you're going to keep coming for like three months and like six months. And every single time you come, you're going to have the same experience. You're going to keep, I, I'm not getting any better. I can't take anybody down. I can't get out of a hold. I, I, I'm worse than everybody else. And it's true. But then, then somebody new is going to come. You're gonna spend three, four, six months on the mat feeling like you are making no progress and then somebody new is gonna come and you're gonna take them and you're gonna realize, oh man, that whole time my muscles were getting stronger, my technique was getting sharper, my brain was getting sharper, that God is renewing you right now in a season of preparation and pretty soon you are gonna look at a new challenge, you're gonna look at a new mountain, you're gonna look at a debt or depression and you say, you know what? God delivered me from the anxiety and delivered me from the, from the broken marriage and he's gonna deliver me from this too. That what you're going through right now is going to 
be a footnote in your resume. It's gonna be the, the evidence and the power that pushes you on to face the next thing. Are you with me? So I just wanna honor my time because I'm so proud of myself. A couple weeks ago, I was, at, I was at Balboa, and I didn't know this until I was, it was after it was over, but I stepped off stage two minutes before the next service was supposed to begin, so I am crushing it right now. I just wanna, I just wanna give you a moment, because I know that, that this, is, this, this is fragile, right? There's some men in here. There are some men in here who, you burned a board this weekend, and there's a little part of you. You stood in that faith. God spoke to you, he did. What you heard God say to you was real. And there's a little part of you, a little part of you of anxiety or fear or doubt that said, man, I, I burned the same thing on a board last year. Am I just gonna keep burning that same board, that same word for the rest of my life? And God is saying, no, I'm doing a work. You're getting stronger on the map. But what I need you to do is I need you to show up for training. I need you to show up in the discipline. I need you to wake up in the mundaneancy and the challenge of everyday life and realize this is where I will see the deliverance of the Lord. And I just wanna give everybody an opportunity. So just take a second, close your eyes. God, I thank you so much that you are good. God, I thank you so much that you do not leave us where we're at. And I just wanna take a second. And if there is anybody in this room who understands what I'm talking about, who understands, man, I have been... I've been believing for something great and I'm starting to lose hope. Or God did something immense in my heart this weekend. And even as I come back from the high of that deposit, from the power of that encounter, there's a little part of me that's scared. Am I gonna stay the course? And I wanna talk to another group of people. If you're sitting here today and you're in a trial you're in a wilderness and you feel really alone. And you've, you've fallen for the, the most common lie of the enemy, that hard means abandonment. Can I just ask if you're one of those two groups? I just want to give you a chance. Raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Wow, I see you guys. I see you. I see you. I see you. God, I thank you for every hand, every hand raised in this moment is a decision to trust you. It is, a, it, is, it is actually a spiritual breaking of the anxiety, the fear, the stronghold of that lie off of their life in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that this would be the beginning. It is the next step. It is the next deposit that you are using this moment, that you're actually going to quicken and remind them of this moment in three months and six months. So when they wake up, and they're on the mat, they wake up and it feels hard, they wake up and they feel alone, that you're gonna remind them, nope, this is the plan, this is where I strengthen you, this is where you get to see my deliverance. We pray these things in your son's name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.